Welcome to Through Here, a podcast about road trips, people, and places. Through Here is recorded on Treaty 2 territory. The land is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. The land is also used by Indigenous nations from Treaties 1, 3, and 4. One of Through Here takes place in Riding Mountain National Park, a vast forested oasis amongst Manitoba's hundreds of kilometers of prairie, and it's a destination for many travelers. If you'd like to learn more about the setting of Through Here's first season, head to the Where's Here section of throughherepod.com. A complete house that fits inside a single shipping container and can be built in just one to two months by a very small crew with little to no equipment? Well, that's Kit House, and I might just call that revolutionary. It's responsibly built using as little plastic as possible while also simultaneously integrating enough components that using solar panels to power the entire house is easily doable and makes the house net zero. In this special episode, which also happens to be the first one back from our brief hiatus, I sit down with another local of Riding Mountain. This time it's Eric. He resides on the border of Riding Mountain National Park with his wife, Anik, and two kids. He also developed and designed Kit House, which I think is a very cool housing option. You can check it out what it looks like at throughherepod.com or you can head to its website to explore it in even more detail, uh, which is kithouse.ca. In this episode, we chat about how Kit House came to be, what makes it different, the process of designing and making choices with building materials which are environmentally responsible and sustainable in the long term, and what the future looks like with Kit House in it. My name is Eric Bjornsson. I spent most of my life in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and now live in Onanol, Manitoba, near Riding Mountain National Park. Why do you live here now? My wife has a job with the National Park. She's had a Uh, job here for probably over a dozen years and I met her about 10 years ago and we uh, dated in Winnipeg and eventually became a relatively serious couple and decided to move out here uh, give it a try and I don't think we'll be moving back why? Well, we like we love it. Uh, it's a great sense of community. It's you know, outdoor stuff. We love doing outdoor stuff. It's right at our back door to do all types of stuff in the park. Clear Lake is, is great. We have kids now, so it's a really nice place to raise children. And uh, Wasagaming is really fun. So that, yeah, and it also has a nice mix between being really busy in the summer and really quiet in the winter, which is nice. And we're also not far from our friends and family in Winnipeg. So if we miss it, we can always go check it out. So, you know a bit about Kit House from the introduction I gave, but I just want to give you a bit more detail before Eric starts to chat about how it came about and how it's made. You'll learn a lot about Kit House specifically this episode, but let's orient you first. So, it's built with extreme attention to energy efficiency and it uses as little plastic as possible. It's an alternative way of living, you could say, but in the most modern way you can picture. It is a two-bedroom house which Eric described as compact and I think you could easily comfortably live in it with two kids and another adult. It's also very beautiful. Of course, that's just my opinion, but it's so well designed and I love the natural look of the outside and also the inside. If you want to check out what it looks like at any point in this episode, you can head to throughherepod.com or you can check out kidhouse.ca for even more info. to talk a little bit about how Kit House started or how you thought about creating it. 
Yes, Kit House has kind of evolved from uh, an effort with my company, Sundial Building Performance. We've done a lot of retrofit insulating and renovations to older houses, trying to make them more energy efficient and comfortable and durable. And so we had uh, that company was started maybe 16 years ago. I was 20 years old when, when it started. And over time realized that, you know, we keep fixing these old homes and we're fixing homes and they're building homes now that are kind of have some of the same problems that we're fixing. And so we thought, well, we, maybe we should consider taking some of this knowledge that we've learned through fixing these hundreds of homes and, and start looking at building, designing and building new homes. And so we became aware of the passive house uh, building standard and got quite excited about that. Got involved on a really cool passive house project in Gimli. That was a custom home. We were contracted to uh, not do the design, but do the construction. And we also did some input on the design. It turned out great. The one thing that did become apparent is doing a custom design from, from the ground up resulted in a cost that was probably higher than the average homeowner was willing to pay. And so we realized if this was gonna become a solution, like, you know, a real solution to sustainable housing, the cost had to come down relatively dramatically in order to make it affordable for the mass market. So our conclusion was we needed to do pre-designed houses and take all that design effort that goes into a high performance building and be able to build it more than once, uh, at least variations of it. So we came through many iterations of how to do that. We thought about doing ready to move homes. We thought about doing panelized homes. We thought about modular where you're building kind of big sections of homes that fit relatively nicely on a transport truck and then they get kind of craned into place on site eventually landed at kit house which is a pretty unique approach to con building construction where uh, it's pre-cut components so it's kind of the ikea at the scale of a full house so each piece is pre-cut pre-measured labeled ready to assemble but each individual piece is still small enough that uh, one or in some cases two people can carry the pieces so you don't need any heavy equipment to construct it and we thought that that would be a really big advantage for construction outside of major cities where there's not necessarily good access to heavy equipment and I know Eric doesn't necessarily talk about this in this episode, but I remember when I was first reading about it in, earlier in 2018, that it had been suggested that Kit House excels in harsh climates and secluded areas. We know it's relatively easy to build with minimal special tools and no need for a big crew, and we know it's easy to transport. This makes it kind of a decent solution, or rather it should be being looked at as potentially a solution to housing issues that we have in Manitoba and Canada. I just wanted to put that little brief note in there because we didn't get to talking specifically about that in this episode. And also we reduce all that cost of heavy equipment. So in some ways it's got kind of high technology, but in a lot of ways it's kind of dialing things back and trying to do all of the site construction using very simple tools, mostly with manual labor. From that initial idea mm -hmm. to where you are now, do you want to speak more to how that process happened? Yeah, so we took a bit of a, a gamble, I guess, and decided in order to make this concept more tangible to people is we decided to build one. So we didn't have, uh, couldn't find someone very easily that was willing to be our first customer without actually seeing the process through. So we just committed, we, we signed up for the Winnipeg Home Show last year. We agreed to get a, a space big enough to build an entire house inside the Home Show. 
and we set to it. We had to figure out, kind of dial in all the design details that we hadn't fully committed to. We had to make decisions and we came up with uh, a design and we built the entire house more or less complete in a warehouse that we rented. Then we took it apart in sections. We moved it over to the Winnipeg Convention Center and uh, rebuilt it. We had four days to rebuild it. We showed it for four days. We had 5,000 people, maybe more, through the house in the four days. And then we had one day to take it apart and haul it away. Luckily, we did sell it uh, not too long after that show. We're actually in that exact house right now. Now we built it uh, very close to where I live now in Riding Mountain, or near Riding Mountain National Park. If you didn't figure it out by now, I'm actually interviewing Eric in a kid house. If you're planning a winter trip to Riding Mountain and are looking for accommodations, the kid house is this kid house that I'm in is actually available to stay in via Airbnb. So you can head to Airbnb, um, search Wasagaming, Manitoba, and it should pop up there as one of your top choices. But Eric is going to take me on a tour now and talk more about the choices he made with materials and what actually makes kid house special. Okay, so we'll do a bit of a tour of this house. We're in the inside right now, and I'll talk mostly about the parts that make this house unique. The biggest difference between this house, or one of the biggest differences between this house and a conventional, what we might call a, a minimum code compliant house, is that the shell, the, the part that separates the indoors from the outdoors is much more robust than uh, a typical house. So we have much higher insulation levels, much more attention to detail on air tightness, really good attention to detail on the windows and doors and how they're installed, good attention to detail on eliminating thermal bridges. So that's areas where there's maybe a weakness or a weak point in the insulation. Then of course, highly efficient mechanical systems. The heating system is extremely simple and very small because it doesn't need to be big to keep a home built like this warm. And then appliances. So making sure that the stuff that we put in the house that's consuming energy is using as little as possible so we're uh, kind of seeking out and buying uh, the best quality most efficient appliances we can and then the finishes so as best we could and it's not perfect we tried to finish the house with natural materials materials that are renewable recyclable biodegradable locally sourced ideally natural materials so we did an okay job there there's still some room for improvement but i think we did a pretty nice job and so maybe i'll start talking about how we built the walls so the walls are very thick and you can notice looking at the window or door frames that there's a really big windowsill that's kind of a nice feature but it's there because of the thickness of the wall so we've got 14 and a half inches of cellulose insulation densely packed into a kind of a sandwich so on the inside of that sandwich is plywood and on the outside of that sandwich is a wood fiber board so it's almost 100% wood that fiber board and that's what contains the insulation in the wall we take a lot of care to make sure that moisture can't move from the inside out so we have a very airtight layer on the inside. We do that by uh, air sealing all of the seams in the plywood very diligently. And then the outside of the wall is very vapor permeable. So if there is any moisture that moves into the wall, it has a way to get out very quickly. Kind of the example I would use is if you're wearing um, winter clothing. So usually you'll have winter clothing on that has a relatively porous outer layer, unless it's a like a, uh, a rain shell. But if it's designed for just very cold weather, it won't have a watertight outer shell. And that's to allow the moisture from your body to, to leave. And a house should be designed the same way for cold climates. Is it, 
is going to have higher moisture on the inside and you want to make sure that that moisture can get out of the wall and that's for mainly for durability to make sure the walls last so that's the walls floor is built very similarly so in this case the floor is suspended off the ground on helical piles so it's, it's more or less on stilts you'd think that would leave a cold floor but we're standing on it right now it's cold outside the floor is warm I mean, you don't know if this is true or not. You can't feel the floor because you're listening to this wherever you're listening to it. But I was here and I was in the kid house. And let me tell you, it was blowing outside. It was, the wind was so strong. It was definitely a blizzard condition. It was very icy. Not that that really impacts the temperature of a house when it's icy, but but it was not nice outside. It was It was a winter day in Manitoba on the prairies and it was not good but i could not tell i was inside the kid house i could not tell it was not extremely loud i couldn't hear the wind that much and the floor like he's talking about was not cold at all so i just thought i'd back that up with my opinion in there maybe two makes it more believable but it definitely was warm And that's because it's built with a lot of dense pack cellulose insulation, 18 inch thick, the floor. And then the ceiling is pretty similar to conventional construction. It's just a flat ceiling. In this case, it's clad with plywood, um, but the attic is filled with, you know, a couple feet of loose fill cellulose insulation. So it's pretty similar to what most people expect in an attic. And then the windows and doors. So we looked at a number of window and door manufacturers and we landed at a local manufacturer, Duxton Windows and Doors. They have a high quality product at a fair price and they're made locally in Winnipeg. They're fiberglass. So they do have some resin in them, which was a bit of a compromise. We would have maybe preferred to be a wood window and door, but we still feel it was superior to PVC and it's, um, yeah, very, very strong. It's gonna last the life of this home, hopefully. And uh, yeah, nice hardware, nice operables, lots of glass area. So it's a very uh, low profile frame. We're quite happy with that. And they're also paintable. So we can choose the color from the either interior or exterior. And so, yeah, that's, I guess the special parts about the shell. Once we have the shell, then the next, I guess, kind of job for us is to design a, a mechanical system to keep the house comfortable and to provide good indoor air quality. And so that's done. Uh, we'll walk over to the very small mechanical room. We're walking to the mechanical room now. It's located in the closet of the second bedroom and is much smaller in my experience than what you'd find in a traditional house. So again, if you'd like to see what the kid house looks like, especially as we tour around it um, and you're hearing things that maybe visuals would help you picture, you can pull them up on throughherepod.com or on kidhouse.ca. And so we have the entire mechanical system tucked into the closet of the house. The heart of the mechanical system is a, an energy recovery ventilator. And what it does is it continually brings supply of fresh air into the house while removing stale air. So we provide fresh air to each bedroom and the living room and we extract stale air from the bathroom and the kitchen. And it's noticeable. So, you know, we walk into this house, we real you can notice that the air 
really feels as fresh as it does outside. And then coming off the HRV, we just have a very tiny heater, a little two kilowatt uh, inline heater, which would typically be used maybe to provide like some tempering for the HRV, but in this case, it's our entire heating system. So it heats up the ventilation air before it gets distributed to the rooms. So it only provides as much heat as is needed. It, it uh, kind of adjusts its output to what's needed. Here we have just a very uh, typical hot water tank, electric hot water tank, and uh, that's, yeah, that's pretty much the mechanical system. So the idea here was to keep it uh, as simple as possible. So we expect a lot of our customers to be in remote areas and where maintenance of equipment is not that easy and getting replacement parts is not that easy. So we wanted to make this extremely simple so that if there was maintenance to be done, it can all be done quite easily. And if a part breaks, it can, be quickly identified and replaced. Yeah, so the shell and the mechanical systems, that's really where the kind of the building science gets imparted into the house. And then we still have to finish it. So we're offering this house as a fully construct or, you know, a full complete kit, including all of the plumbing and electrical and finishes, kind of a, a ready to build kit that once it's done, you can move in. And so we had to also decide on how to finish it and what materials to use. And that was a challenge. So we spent a lot of time with consultants trying to figure out, you know, what works in terms of the layout and what works in terms of uh, cabinetry design and bedroom design, bathroom design. And we're quite happy with the way it came together. And then material choices. So again, lots of choices for interior finishing materials. And we tried as much as we could to stick with natural materials, to stay away from composites and to use materials that we would feel good about when they do come to their eventual end of life. So one day this house is probably going to be at its end of life. Hopefully it's a very long time in the future, but when it does, we got to think what's going to happen to all these materials. And so especially plastics, we tried to keep out of the house. Uh, we weren't able to avoid it entirely, although I think we can still do better. And what it resulted in uh, was a lot of use of wood. So the panels instead of using drywall we chose to use uh, formaldehyde free plywood which was uh, made in Canada it looks you know quite nice it's a you know subjective opinion but I think it turned out quite nice uh, we used a uh, engineered hardwood floor so the flooring is more or less 100% wood product we used uh, wood trims wood baseboards uh, formaldehyde free wood cabinetry uh, yeah so I think we did pretty good there's still some spots so you know plumbing pipes we can't avoid using plastic some of the electrical components we can't avoid using plastic. I think still some room to improve. The world is changing and I don't know about you but I really value this planet and love all the cool things that it has and all the cool things that it does and all the cool things that you can experience while you're living on this planet and it's kind of the only one that we have. At Through Here, we find it pretty important to take active steps to making the world we live in a more environmentally friendly, more sustainable, and more green way. That's why we love Create Simple. It's an online community dedicated to helping people find more simple, creative, and better ways to live, more greener and more sustainably. It hosts workshops in Winnipeg. In fact, there's one coming up called Growing Your Own Wheatgrass. I'm super excited for it. It also creates online resources and and it's constantly engaging with people wanting to learn more about the environment. I personally love its content. It's always keeping up with what's on the cutting edge in the environmentally friendly alternatives world so that you can check that out on Instagram or Facebook at Create Simple or visit its website at createsimple.org. What is, what's next? 
sales. <laughs> sales is next. So we got out of the home show uh, tired and really uh, feeling like we were onto something. We had a pile of positive feedback, almost you, you know, almost uh, entirely positive feedback from everyone that was through the home. We came out with a huge stack of people that wanted more information and were interested and lots that were you know, within a year or two of being ready to build. So that was super exciting, but it also created a big challenge. Like how do we go from building one house to, you know, building many houses per year? And it almost was a little bit paralyzing, I guess, to, to go from having that many interested people and a product to turning that into production line of some sort and sales. And so we still haven't fully rounded that corner. Actually, we have a long ways to go to round that corner to mass production, but we're working on, you know, some still some individual sales. We'd like to get a few more builds under our belt before we start scaling up, uh, better understand our costs, of course, and hopefully bring the price down even a little bit. Although I think it's our potential customers seem to be quite excited by the price. Eventually, hopefully be uh, having, you know, a couple other designs that we build many of per year. That's the goal. And uh, it'll probably be take us a few years at least to get there. Um, but the goal is, is for uh, someone to be able to order a house like this, customize it online and be able to receive it and possibly have it built within, you know, six months to a year. So the people that went through here, um, when they talked about it, like what was their main, I want to say takeaway, but I don't know if that's the right word. Like I'm thinking like, were they most interested in the fact that it was so easy to build or were they most interested in, in the fact that it like your intentions when you constructed it were that it was as plastic free as possible and as zero waste as possible and stuff. Yeah. Like that. I think most people, I think kind of the, Culture has been shifting and I think most people would like to be doing a better job for the environment. A lot of people just don't know how, you know, they, they get to choose products from those that are available. And in a lot of cases, there aren't great choices available. So I think a lot of people were just extremely happy to see that there was a company really taking this seriously, caring about it and trying to put out something that addressed these issues. And so I think a lot of people were just thankful that there was someone doing this and it was tangible and it was, you know, available in to the local market and uh, it was it was for sale. So I think that was the overwhelming kind of um, thing that came away is most people are just really happy to see it happening. Most people are also really happy to see it happening at a price that was in, in line. Uh, it wasn't you know extremely expensive to be an early adopter. So yeah, that was exciting because I didn't know, you know we, had a, we didn't know what the reaction was gonna be. We didn't know if we'd have a lot of critique or a lot of pushback on the price or uh, pushback on the design or the size. And we got some pushback on, on all of those things, but really I think overwhelmingly people were really happy to see us doing what we were doing. Why was it important to make it so that there wasn't plastic? Plastic is, uh, you know, every day I think, there's more and more kind of news and kind of understanding that plastic's becoming a big problem. It lasts so long, which is why it's such a desirable product for that reason is because it's so durable and it's, you know, got a lot of great properties, but one of its biggest downfalls or its biggest downfall is it does last so long, so it doesn't break down and it floats and it often ends up in waterways and makes its way to the oceans where it stays. And then it breaks down and all the, all the, you know, doesn't take long to figure out that it's a, it's a big problem. It ends up in our ecosystems and our kind of food chains and, and the problem's only getting worse. We're still making piles and piles of plastics. And the goal, I think, with a lot of things is you don't 
necessarily have to be kind of evangelical and say, you know, we can't use plastic anywhere because there's some places where it's the best product to be used and almost unavoidable. But there's a lot of places where we use it where there are better alternatives. And so our goal is to try to at least take the low-hanging fruit and, and not be using it for insulation, for example, uh, not to be using it for, you know, large amounts of it for interior finishing where we have better alternatives. And so that was pretty easy to do. There's many nice products to use for insulation that are not plastic. There's many good finishing products. And so it, uh, it really wasn't that hard. And it makes me feel a lot better about what we're doing and that we're not adding to the, we're minimizing the pollution we're adding to the world. So developing that probably took longer than if you had been like, I'm just going to put plastic in. All For sure. Stuff. Yeah. If we were strictly focused on uh, price and speed and, and ease of construction, we might have landed at using some plastics. There's other alternative ways to build walls that use you know large amounts of foam and they definitely can perform well. They can be made relatively inexpensively. And um, yeah, so that's one approach to super insulated buildings. It's just we're choosing to take a different approach. When you thought about that, did you think this is also going to add value to the end product for the, like, that someone would buy this over something else? That's right. Yeah, I think so. Uh, it wasn't why we did it. Uh, I think it's why we might succeed at it, uh, mm -hmm. is that there is a part of the market that does care. And I think that part of the market is growing. Um, and so, yeah, that's an advantage because I think there's some that line up with that line of thinking and they're willing to consider that in their purchasing and might bring some sales our way. Was it was it hard to figure out what to use or did you already know I'm trying to think because I don't know, obviously, because right. I yeah. don't construct things, but like, is it easy to find alternatives when you're building a house or No, whatever? it's not that easy. It's not that hard either, but it requires an understanding of uh, what the objective is. So we have, say, for example, we're trying to eliminate a thermal bridge around our windows. So we need some type of rigid insulation that can provide that thermal break where the windows get installed. And often that would be done with rigid foam insulation. And rigid foam insulation is readily available. It's inexpensive and it would have worked from a performance standpoint really well. However, we want to stay plastic free. And even if we did use rigid foam there, it wouldn't have been that big a deal in my opinion, because we wouldn't have been using very much of it, but then we couldn't call it a foam free shell. And we, you know, it, it kind of would have been a, a bit of a butt on our, it's foam free butt mm -hmm. or accept this. Um, and so we found a nice product, it's cork. It performs just as well, if not better than the foam. Um, it's about twice the price. However, we're not using very much of it. So it doesn't add very much to the end price of the home. It works great. We feel good about when we're cutting it. We're not you know, nearly as worried about breathing in the dust as we would be if we were cutting foam. That's an example of where we had to look for a, a better product. And luckily there is a North American supplier. So we were able to get it without too much difficulty. Still had to be brought in from outside of Manitoba, but I'm sure, you know, if we start using more of it or others start using it, then it'll become even easier to get. Your end goal of kit, like in 10 years when it's super successful, <laughs> what do you like in your when you're dreaming about all that it could be? What does that dream look like? Yeah, it changes. I think it would be great whether they're buying a kit house or buying a product from another company or building themselves is that this philosophy of how to build buildings becomes normal and becomes mainstream and becomes just the way we do things where we don't build houses that are or buildings or houses as cheaply as possible without considering the amount of energy they use 
over their lifetime and where we think about how easy they are to maintain or difficult they are to maintain. We think about the materials that are being used, that that becomes a big part of what we consider when we buy houses and buildings as opposed to looking at the price per square foot. So that would be my goal. And if we have a part in kind of changing that mentality, then great. We can prove to governments that this isn't as hard as it uh, might seem and they move the needle on building codes and kind of regulate this as being how we build, then I think that would be the goal. Yeah, is where this just becomes normal. This doesn't become exceptional. Right. And by Kit House being in the conversation, it furthers it. And it... I hope so. Yeah, I think the biggest leap like this technology, none of the technology here is really new. Um, it's it's there's only maybe a few things that I think we could say that we developed. It's more grabbing the things that we like the most out of other people's builds and other technology, a lot from the passive house community. But I think what's unique here is the, the cost. So we have brought the price per square foot down to a level that's comparable with other conventionally build, built homes and probably even below the price of conventionally built custom homes. So I think that's really what we've done that's special is we've been able to, to bring the price down. Global War has bled Earth and Shar almost dry. With her health and career in shambles, Shar leaves the army for an isolated research facility. When a humanoid creature from another world appears, Shar agrees to helm a covert expedition to his world. The mission, find new resources and win the war. But a chance meeting with her estranged husband leaves Shar torn between saving her country and saving the love she didn't know still live. Read Bridger, a dystopian serial for free at BridgerSerial.com. Specifically, Kit House, what are your short-term, like what do your short-term goals look like right now? Where do you hope that more Kit Houses are built specifically? Or like, I don't know if you have a goal like that, but like because maybe in cities there's not space for it i'm sure there is but like mm -hmm. i mean yeah in the short term unique yeah in the short term my goal is really just to build a few more you know maybe two to three per year would be a reasonable goal for the next uh, couple years we'd like to build some in our uh, kind of our community like close to where i live that's nice and convenient but We'd also like to build some in really harsh climates. I'd love to be building kit house, you know, somewhere near the Arctic Circle. I've joked about the idea of building one in Antarctica, and I think it would be, uh, yeah, it'd be exciting to see how this type of home performs in, in really extreme climates. That's our short-term goal. Uh, longer term, of course, we just want to be able to streamline the, the production process, especially the prefabrication process, to make it very uh, easy for people to, to buy it and to be able to scale so that everyone that does eventually want to buy one can get one in a reasonable time frame. About how it comes. Sure, yeah. So the way the kit house construction works is it starts at our location where we bring all of the materials together at our location. We order all of the finishing materials and the structural materials and the trusses and the insulation, the tapes and screws and fasteners, and we've figured out everything down to the screw of what's needed to build this house. And so we will pre-cut all of the pieces, we'll pre-cut the partition wall studs, we'll pre-cut the trims around the windows, the baseboards, 
everything will come pre-cut. With a few exceptions, the builder does not need to be working with a saw. There'll be a few trim pieces that where the precision is just so high, the requirement for precision is so high that a little trim is needed. But for the most part, it's mainly bringing materials to where they're needed, fastening them together. And the pieces are labeled, so they'll come with a labeling and a numbering and a coloring so that they're very easy to figure out what goes where. And there's a bit of some rules in terms of the construction. So once people understand the rules, they don't necessarily have to be following step by step. This allows the construction to happen much faster than a typical build where pallets of lumber show up and the framer has to be quite skilled and, and understand how to frame and cut everything to size. Here it's, we call it instead of really being construct, constructed, it's being assembled. We have designed things so that the level of skill needed to build it, although there's still definitely skill required, and the more skilled the better, it can be built by people with less experience and less skill building. So we think that's a big advantage, especially in remote locations where there might not be a huge skilled labor pool that build houses every day, where hardworking crew that knows the basics of carpentry and construction can build this house. So that's the goal. And so uh, we package everything up into a shipping container. This house this design, the Kit House Premier, is designed to fit in a single 53-foot shipping container, very snugly. For the most part, it's packed in a way so that the first thing out of the, out of the container is the first thing you need. Pull things out of the container and start building. So it provides security for the materials on site. Our estimate with a hardworking skill, relatively skilled crew, be looking at maybe 30 to 60 days to build the house which is considerably less than it would take to build this house uh, using conventional site construction. Right. Yeah, and then all of the, any leftover materials can go back into the container. We can even ship the uh, house out with some of the specialty tools. There's not many, but it can all go back in the container. Any leftover parts can go back in the container, comes back to us. We'll credit you for the leftovers, credit you for the tools that come back, credit you for the container. And so even all of the appliances are in there too? Yeah, appliances are an option. There's a lot of oh, options. Okay. So. Uh, you can even choose to get the bare bones. You don't have to order it with the flooring. If you don't like our uh, limited selection of flooring choices, you just can say no flooring. It'll take it off the price, but you do have the option to get a, a fully complete kit, but you don't have to. So if there's parts that you don't want, there it's the options to pull them out. The things that you, that kind of is the, the base kit is of course the shell, the windows, the mechanical system, that is kind of all comes with, but for a lot of the finishes, you can decide what to get. So if you, choose to have appliances does it come in the container or no that's right it does it yeah does. yeah wow oh my gosh yeah the entire kit house fits into one single shipping container color me shook appliances walls everything how's that for efficient um, how did you build it in four? Did you say you built it in four days? Yeah, so and you just said that it takes thirty. Right. Yeah. So we uh, pre-built it in a warehouse, and that took us about two months. Uh, oh. It was our first one. We built it as much as we could in the warehouse. Then we brought it down in relatively big chunks. Put it into seven tractor trailers. Shipped it to site, and then we had a crane actually on site for that. So we built it in a very unique way to allow us to do it in four days. We built it with a full net zero solar system at the home show. So. This house is designed so that if the south-facing roof is clad with solar panels, so about 30 solar panels, it would meet the net zero calculation according to Intercan's Hot 2000 software. And so that's pretty exciting, uh, especially for a house of this size in this climate. And that's even as far north of, you know, say northern Manitoba would meet that threshold. So that's a very kind of modest solar system to achieve net zero. And so that would, what net zero means is 
all of the energy produced by the solar panels over the course of the year would be equal to all of the energy used by the running of the house over the course of the year. So that would be heating, hot water, TVs, up gadgets, um, appliances, and that's assuming uh, with the Kit House Premier design, assuming two adults and one child living here normally. And that's assuming the kind of the average Canadian lifestyle. I know for the Doyles. The Doyles I'm referring to are a family who I'm hoping to interview for one of the last episodes of the season. They also live near the border of Riding Mountain National Park and they built two homes. One is pretty tiny, could arguably be called a tiny home. One is regular sized, uh, but they're both passive homes. They're both designed in a way that maximizes the sun's rays. So the roof is a skillion roof or shed or lean to. So you can Google that if you'd like, but basically it just has one peak. It's it's very similar to Patrick's house, uh, the one that we talked, the person we talked to in episode three. It has the exact same style roof as Patrick's house. And so this passive houses that they've built, the roof is the way it is because it lets in a lot of light and heat in the winter and it acts like a shelter from the sun in the summer. They had to go to the province and fight the building code because their houses are designed so they don't use drywall, which is something out of the Norman Manitoba. So I was just relating that experience uh, to Eric to see if he had trouble with that when he was making Kit House. That they don't have drywall either, like the house is just plywood sides. Mm -hmm. um, and he said that he had to fight the building code on that, which I don't know if you had to do that or not, but... Yeah, so there's a few things uh, about this design that are not typical. The way that we achieve the airtightness with plywood and uh, air sealing tapes is a, probably the one that's a little bit or the most unique where typically it's uh, plastic sheets and acoustic sealant and tapes to achieve air tightness. It's uh, become fairly common in the passive house community uh, to use this method for air tightness. And I think when it comes to building codes, I think we uh, are getting you know building permits. I think we share everything that we're asked for. We're, we're not necessarily pointing out all of the things as to why they should maybe give us a hard time, but we've done a handful of constructions using these methods and uh, haven't had any difficulty at all. And I think now that we have these under our belt and we can actually prove that they're effective in terms of air tightness and moisture movement, then I think the it just gets easier and easier. Okay, so it's, evol it's like evolving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, being the first is the toughest, but as time goes on, it just might become more normal. Okay, how did you get into the house building business? Yeah, so uh, kind of like I mentioned, we started off uh, Sundial doing all types of renovations and retrofitting, trying to make houses more energy efficient and comfortable and just evolved into saying, well, why can't we take this? We've just about, you know, probably built many houses. Why don't we uh, start doing the entire project and we can impart all of the knowledge that we have and skill and hopefully build something better than, uh, than uh, has been done in the past. And so we just decided to give it a go. Right, but you personally. Yeah, okay, so me personally, the yeah. Sundial, yeah, so, you... yeah, that's a good question. I think I had a upbringing where my dad is rather handy and, and I followed him around doing all kinds of household renos and repairs and fixing stuff. And, and you know, the idea of hiring a contractor was, was absurd. He would fix everything. And that's just kind of, I think, how I learned kind of a base understanding of how to do stuff with my hands and then I, I guess yeah the rest you know just learned from others took some you know took courses and then I think 
once you have a, a base knowledge of construction, it's a lot easier to learn the rest or, or to keep learning. Like with other things, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. But it becomes, it's a lot easier to learn things now, I think, than it was pre-internet and pre-YouTube. Mm -hmm. You have to know enough to know if what you're looking at is uh, worth trying. And then, yeah, a good network of uh, other people. I think this industry, the building science industry, is very open with information and doesn't try to keep too many trade secrets. So if you want to know something, talking to quote unquote competitors or peers in the industry uh, is really helpful. That's it for Kidhouse and Eric. If you want extended content from this episode, don't forget to visit us at throughherepod.com. New content is up on Through Here's website under the Where's Here section. We will be posting content every second week here, showing you what great things there are to explore and discover in Riding Mountain all seasons of the year. Thanks for listening to episode seven. We'll be back next Thursday with Anne and Rob and their two kids, Arlo and Rosie. They partake on a big adventure every summer and this year it happened to include Riding Mountain as well as Northwestern Ontario, Saskatchewan, Alberta, Montana and Colorado. As always if you'd like to see here and experience more from through here we have extended content on our social media pages. Follow us on Tumblr, Pinterest, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and Spotify all at the handle at through here. You can catch monthly blog posts on our website at throughherepod.com and you can join us every week every Thursday for new episodes of through here. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a rating if you like what we're doing. Have a great weekend and as always don't forget to stay curious.